Today's scripture reading is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, whom, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. If you've been with us, you know we've been working through Ephesians and in our sermon series, Rooted, coming from Ephesians 3.17, where Paul prays that the Ephesians and therefore us would be rooted in Christ's love. And that's one of the things that um, Paul is uh, continuing to explain what that means. One of the amazing parts of Scripture, amazing things about Scripture, is its ability to constantly be speaking fresh and new to us in our new situations and new contexts. As we grow and um, mature in our faith or in our life, we can always come back to Scripture, whether we've read it once or a thousand times, and God has the ability to speak to us. As I was reviewing uh, and studying this week on this sermon, I realized that I had preached this very passage before, 
and came to the same conclusion of the same outline uh, in my head before I even read my notes uh, that I had previously. But it still speaks fresh. It still, still speaks new to who we are, who we are in this place, even several years after um, we've preached it before. It's one of the amazing things that God has the ability to do in our own lives is to be able to speak fresh and new, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're facing, no matter where we are in our lives. Paul makes a shift here in our passage when he says, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you kind of have to ask, what is it therefore? And so Paul is shifting from this grand theology that he's explained throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians, explaining who God is, what he has done in Christ, how Christ has broken down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, people who are naturally uh, have a natural animosity towards one another, and he's creating a new community in him, Christ himself is our peace. And Paul shifts from that point to talk about what does this mean in the nitty gritty of our everyday life. This is a transition part in the letter of Ephesians, and it really frames the whole rest of the letter. What is our relationship with God through Christ? What does it look like for us to be a part of this new community? How does that affect our everydayness? in how we live. Because faith is not merely an intellectual ascent. It's not just knowing things about God. It's something that is lived out in our everyday. It has everyday implications to it. One of the things that I try to do every day, but this last week I was actually able to do it, is to get out and walk in the morning. Walking is one of the most basic things that we can do in our lives. It's still a factor in real estate. You'll see a, a walkability score, and so you know how far you would have to walk to go to get groceries or to meet people. How, how big is the community? But walking is not natural to us. We usually like to jump in our cars and run up to the store. We like to move more than you know three miles an hour uh, in our lives. Slowing down and walking is very challenging for us, even though it is the natural pace by which we live our lives. It's actually one of the healthiest things we can do as well. By moving our bodies, both sides of our bodies, our brain is able to speak to each side of it, the right and the left side of the brain, is able to communicate to work out the stress, the anxiety that we have in our lives. It increases our mood, it helps us to sleep better, it strengthens our joints, uh, we have more energy as we age. Walking is like the best thing that we can possibly do to ensure that we don't fall. And falling is one of the, one of the worst things that can happen to you um, as you age as well. Only 10 minutes a day it takes to get out and walk and for you to reap all of these benefits of, the, of walking in our lives. But more than that, walking humanizes a place. It creates scale. You know where things are. It creates a memory in your own mind. It puts you into a community in which you live. When I got Haley in Chicago, I began to take her out on very simple, easy walks around the neighborhood, and I suddenly began to know my neighbors. I was able to get to know them. I knew where this store was, or how far it was to the grocery store, or where the kids played in the afternoon, or the other dogs that I didn't want her to interact with, uh, where the busy streets were, how far it was to the park. 
most of the neighbors we've met here in this neighborhood, we've met on walks. And I met a new one just this week, a new family that's moving into our neighborhood. Walking humanizes a place. Walking is living in a place. And here in our passage, Paul urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. This puts walking, it gives walking a, def, a destination. It gives it a purpose. It invites us into a bigger life. Calling in Latin, the word that they would have used is vocare, which is where we get our word vocation. Vocation is not a job. Jobs have a task to them. Jobs can start and end. When you finish something up, maybe that job is done. Maybe you move on to something else. But a vocation, a vocation is a way of life. Vocation is a relational word. Vocation speaks to how God has created us intimately in our being. This calling to which you have been called are the two, uh, two same words in the Greek that Paul uses, ecclesia. It's where we get our English word church. But it doesn't have religious undertones to it naturally. It's just an everyday word for everyday life. It's being a congregation. It's being a people. It's being an assembly gathered together. It's not an aggregation of like marbles sitting in a bag um, and they're all still separate, but it's all of us coming together and becoming one body. This, this was the word that was used for birthday parties or re- retirement parties or just people coming together in assembly, listening to something. They were known as the ecclesia. We are known as the ecclesia because Paul reminds us uh, and re- reminds the Ephesians that when we find the fullness of our lives is when we are gathered together, when we are in community and brought together, especially because of the grace that Christ has worked in our lives. This calling, this coming together as God's assembly, Paul says, serves to increase our unity, allows us to embrace our diversity, and leads to our maturity. This calling, being coming together as God's people, serves to increase our unity, our diversity, and our maturity. Those are the three things that we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at unity. If you'd read with me, look again at verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, In the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This unity, it's this unity is what we find in our life. This is a metaphor uh, for our lives. This is the only, this walk word that Paul says, this is the only imperative in our passage in the Greek. All the others are just prepositions, just hanging on to this one word. And in fact, this is the only, the second uh, imperative that we've received that Paul has given us in all of Ephesians. The first one was remember in chapter 2. I think a lot of times we think of the church and Christ and Paul giving us imperatives. This is the command of how you should live your life. But it's actually not that. We actually, it's, he doesn't give those to us. It's simple. It's remember. It's walk. It's live. These are the places in which it is lived out. And then he describes a life worthy of God's calling, humility, 
gentleness, patience, tolerant love, and peacekeeping. This isn't something that, this isn't a checklist. This isn't something that we can go, okay, we're, we're humble enough. Oh, we've loved enough. We've made peace enough in our lives. This is a lifelong calling. Patience is the exercise of the large, largeness of the soul that can endure the annoyances and difficulties of people over a period of time, right? Like that is so hard to do, to endure the annoyances and difficulties of people over a lifetime with one another. Again, this isn't a checklist. This is an ongoing life that we have. Paul says you make every effort. There's an eagerness to it. We seek it out. It's not something that we passively wait for, but we endure people. We are patient and loving with them. We are humble in our interaction and interactions with them because of the life that we have been given, and we seek those opportunities out. Love is other-focused. It's always costly, and again, it's hard to measure. When have you loved enough? Paul, I think, would ask us. I don't know that we could ever answer we've loved enough. This unity that Paul tells us we have is based on the oneness of God. In this passage, we see um, seven times Paul uses the word one, and he has it in three sets. Paul was a good, very well-educated Jew, very high up in the religious um, uh, system of the day. This is a Hebraism to, to speak of the completeness, sevens, ones. All of this is talking to the, the wholeness, the completeness of who God is. There's three sets. There's the body, spirit, and hope. There's Lord, faith, and baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a completeness to who God is and who we are in this unity. Paul bases this on the Trinity. The Trinity is one of the more um, challenging at times um, doctrines that we have as the church. It speaks to how God is one, and yet he is three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, do, we end most of our prayers here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's how God manifests himself. In almost every single passage that, Paul, that we've taken out of Paul, he refers to God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, and how they are working together as one. So incredibly challenging doctrine to understand. And there's no analogy for it that works. And so I'm not going to give you one, but there is an image. Other people have done it. Actually, what am I? <laughs> uh, one of the assistant pastors that I worked for was like, yeah, there's no way to explain this, but I'm going to do it. Um, Destiny's Child. There's Beyonce and the other two. Who knows what the other two are? But no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> One of the great words that um, the ancient church fathers have used for this is perichoresis. It's kind of just a big Greek word that means to go around. And it was used to speak of how the persons of the Trinity kind of circulated around one another. This is commonly used to talk about dancing. And as people dance together, as their bodies begin to move in one spirit, one wholeness together, they become one. And that's one of the ways in which we understand the Trinity. You cannot separate God. It cannot be separated. It's like a diamond. Diamond comes from the Greek word adamas, which means unbreakable. But when the expert carver carves it, you see the multifacetedness of it, and that's the beauty in it, all these different ways in which um, the light is reflected. God reflects his beauty in this unbreakable um, being 
that dances around and shimmers like a diamond. One of the things that we have to remember in the table, at the table, is that relationships are sacred. Who we are and how God is bringing us together matters. We don't bet relationships. We don't quit relationships either because of little annoyances. We bear with one another. We seek out opportunities to serve and love one another. We are patient. Michael had a friend over this week. They were playing a game. He made a casual bet of his um, very brand new Chicago Cubs uh, hat, and he was winning the game at the time that he made the bet. Well, he ended the game, and he wasn't winning anymore, and so he kind of went back on his bet, and then his friend didn't want it, and there was this back and forth, but it ended in this uh, great sadness of the friend leaving very quickly, and he said, we were talking with his mom, and his, his friend said, well, he went back on a bet, and I feel like a fool. Trust was broken there, and we, what we talked about with Michael afterward was, you weren't betting the hat, you were betting the friendship. We don't bet friendships in our house, we don't bet friendships in our church, because the church, because relationships are sacred, the church, the table reflects the very unity of God. Social media wants to divide us up into very into different or into the same groups, but here in the church we can see that we are different, and because Christ is our peace, He has broken down the dividing wall that is in, in between us. Instead of starting in our division in Christ, we start by affirming the unity that we have with one another. Churches are way too known for how they separate from other people. We want to be known as a church who invites others into the grace and mercy of God, into this community by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and ourselves being humble and patient and gentle and loving and peaceful, both in our relationships here and with those who are outside the church as well. We start from a place of unity. But Paul also talks about our diversity that we have in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 12. He writes, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for all the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. It uh, is amusing to me that as soon as Paul uh, has been talking throughout Ephesians how we have been divided, how Jews and Gentiles are now coming together in one, and he's just explained this unity that we have in Christ, then he goes, oh yeah, but we're also diverse. We are different from one another. And so (laughs) it's very humorous to me that uh, he then jumps into diversity. But it's not diversity that's based on our outward appearances, It's diversity based on the gifts that God has given us in Christ. It's what God has done inside of us to give us gifts to be able to build up 
the body of Christ, to be able to maintain the unity that we have in Christ. We all have a role to play. Paul immediately quotes Psalm 68, 18, which the whole psalm is about a conquering king who has come and, and thrown down his foes, who has ruled over his enemy, and now he's returning to his throne. And so there's this all this language of ascending and descending and all of what it means, but it is a picture of Christ, a king who has come to conquer his foes. The foe is death. And Christ has conquered that in his resurrection, in his death and resurrection. And in doing so, he then ascended back into heaven to rule and reign over all things, over all the earth. And in doing that, he gives gifts, the spoils, the plunder that he has to his people to maintain the gift of unity that we have. Spiritual gifts can often be kind of a touchy uh, topic. There's a lot of lists out there. There's about 40 some odd gifts listed. There's no list is complete, let alone this one. This only lists about five um, gifts that we've been given. Um, and even the gifts that we have are not complete as well. So there's a lot of gifts. There's a lot of understanding of what gifts are and how we receive them. Paul here names um, some ways in which we function as the body of Christ to maintain that unity. We're apostles, we're prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Um, All of these have functions to them, whether it's building up the body of Christ internally or reaching out into the community by explaining who God is, being a representative of who Christ is, knowing how the gospel is relevant in different situations, um, proclaiming um, who Christ is, and then teaching the very uh, nuanced uh, details of theology or doctrine and all of those things. Again, shepherding people along in their understanding of who Christ is and how that works out in their lives. The purpose of equipping God's people unto the work of service so that the body of Christ may be maintained in its unity. These are why we've been given a gift. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem... If no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team. The A-team. There is no plan B, right? They're a team. They work together. You have John Hannibal Smith, the leader, the guy who orchestrates all the things, who plans out all the adventures that they have. Templeton Peck, the face, the smooth-talking, kind of wise guy who's able to get into every situation. You have Howling Mad Murdoch, who is the pilot who would always help carry out the, the missions that they had, who actually, when he wasn't on these missions, resided in, a, in like a mental institution. And there's different times in which they had to break him out on multiple occasions. You would think at some point people would understand the ruse that is going on here. And then you had Mr. T., as B.A. Baracus, bad attitude, right? I pity the fool, right? He, there's this amazing, so they, and he is the strong man. He is the one who got the dirty work done. They each had a role 
to play, and they built one another up. There's this fantastic scene where um, Mr. B.A. Baracus's mom is in trouble. She's going to get kicked out of her, her house in, in Chicago, of all places. And so Mr. T's character is scared of flying, but he's like, we're flying. That's where we're going. They're like, okay. He passes out on the flight immediately. That's the shtick that he has. Um, but when they get there, they pose him as the leader of the A-team. And each one of them takes a step back to, so that he can be seen as a leader in front of his mom, as someone who's important, as someone who's made it, as someone who is able to serve the team best. And as they're talking through, they're like, B.A., I think you said you were going to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, and B.A., I think you said we were going to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. And so, and then they say, as the, the two lines that they always have, uh, you're on the jazz now, and I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. There is no plan B. The church is how God works in, the ro- in this world, and each of us have a role to play. Each of you have a role to play here at the table. You may be the best person that God has created to perform a particular ministry need. There is no plan B. How do you discover your gifts? You can take a test. I mean, those exist. Or you can just try it out. Trial and error. Try what, what are you passionate about? What do you love doing? What gets you excited in serving the church and the world? Sometimes we have to perform tasks when there's no one else to do them, but most of the time, our gifts line up with how God has created us. Frederick Beekner is a uh, theologian who said, The place God calls you is to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. What do you love? What do you want to do? That's probably how God has created you, to serve him and to serve his people. You can expect chaos in that, trying out different time, different hats, figuring out different functions, looking at all the different ministry needs that are there. There's a lot of opportunity to be able to serve God where you are in your life as well as here at the table. Our diversity, our u- unity is maintained through the diversity of our gifts. Lastly, our maturity. I'll read uh, 13 through uh, 16. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole world the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love the purpose of our gifts and the purpose of maintaining our unity is for our maturity paul begins with the opposite he says that we may no longer be children First of all, notice the we. Paul includes himself in saying that we might not be children. Possibly one of the most renowned experts of Christ at the time says, I am still a child in my faith. I still need to be mature in this. this the image is babies tossed around by every wind of doc- doctrine, cunning, craftiness, and deception. Culture changes its values 
almost daily, it seems. It's like Intel chips in the 90s, uh, right? Like every year it's being updated. Every year, culture's values are being changed. Immaturity is following all of these cultural changes. Maturity, though, Paul says, is speaking truth and love. This is how we grow together in Christ. This is how we are joined together, how our joints and our sinews, our ligaments and our tendons are all built together to be able to maintain this body being built up in love. Literally, what Paul is saying is when he says when what we have is speaking truth and love, it's truthing love. Truth is a verb. It's an action in which we perform. It's something someone does. It's a true assessment of the facts and considers what is real rather than what is an illusion. Love is the filter through which everything flows. Love rules out all cunning and deception. It's the way in which we truth. We truth in love. It's not usually our natural way of speaking truth. We have to make this decision to speak truth in love. Again, the church isn't always known for being loving, though that's what we are commanded to be. Great example of this. Um, I hope my parents don't listen to the sermon. Um, we were at uh, Disney a couple weeks ago, and um, Evelyn was sitting on the back of the stroller. Uh, Michael was standing or like surfing on the front of it as we were waiting for the fireworks to happen. Michael was counterbalancing Evelyn on the back of the stroller. My dad and I are doing some stuff, and my mom's trying to help out. And so she says, we've tell Michael, don't move, stop surfing, just be still, and he's not. So my mom goes to grab Michael to pull him off of the stroller. The stroller tips, Evelyn screams and cries because she's scared for her life. Um, We catch her, she doesn't move more than a few inches. My mom puts Michael back off and grabs Evelyn and says, are you okay? Are you hurt? Is anything wrong? As she's like weeping, because Evelyn, everything's over the top with her. and she stops crying, and she says, I want to get back on the stroller. And so my mom puts her back. And I said, Mom, a little bit of empathy would go a really long way with her. She said, well, I got the results we wanted, right? And it, and it doesn't matter how I do it. And I said, it does matter how you do it. It matters how we speak to one another. It matters how we portray truth to one another, that we do it in a loving fashion. Our language matters. We are known quite a bit for using language in the church. We have sermons. This is one of the few um, places in in the world that we still lecture. We do that in education as well, but uh, a lot of our lives doesn't have this. We use language in three different ways in the church. Charismatic, which is preaching, didactic, which is teaching, and paracletic, which is discernment. Paracletic is the language that we rarely talk about. We talk about preaching all the time. We talk about teaching, but paracletic is where we work out what our faith looks like in our lives. Discernment is working out truth in love. Peterson says, this is a conversation directed to the insights and decisions, the behaviors and practices that emerge from hearing the preached good news and learning the truth of scriptures as they then get prayed and embodied in my life where I am just now. Periclesis is the word for friend, is the word for helper, and it's friends sitting together and discerning truth together in love. But not only that, it's the word in which we describe the Holy Spirit. 
the helper, the helpmate who comes into our lives. And so our language of paracletic, of paraclesis language, is sitting with a friend, not only with one another, but in the intimacy of God and the relationship he has given to us through Jesus Christ and the power of this Holy Spirit so that his words get in us, so that love is what is brought forth in truth. St. Bernard of Clairvaux said the Holy Spirit is the kiss of God. It is the truth of God given to us lovingly so that we may know who he is. Talking about truth is a hard topic this these days. Who has the authority on truth? You may have seen the, the one of the opening uh, quotes I have is from Frederick Nietzsche. Most churches don't quote him very often, but he says, all things are subject to interpretation. And he says, it's not truth we're after, but power. And so many people claim that there is no truth, and when it comes to God, Christianity, they claim that Christianity doesn't have a monopoly. There are many ways of getting to God. What is the truth? When we step back and evaluate that statement, that there are many ways to God, that too is a truth claim. When Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is a truth claim. But if Nietzsche is right, if, I don't know, But if he is, if a claim to truth is a claim to power, we have to look at how Jesus used his power, his claim at truth. Paul and Jesus would say that power resides not in the oppression of other people, but in the love of others. No other book does the word love occur as much as in Ephesians six times. In our passage, Paul uses it three times. He brackets the whole passage That we would be, verse 1, called into the manner uh, with which you are called, verse 2, where is it at the end of verse 2, bearing with one another in love, and he ends it in verse 16, so that the whole body would grow, would be built up to itself up in love. All of what we do, all the power that we have is to love one another. It's in the confines of love by which we use our power to walk in the unity through our diversity toward our maturity. See, when truth and love are kept together, true community comes into being. How has Jesus used his power? How has he used his love? Well, he spoke the harshest truth we could ever hear. You need saving. You are not okay. But he's also shown us the greatest um, display of love when he came himself to live amongst us, to be incarnate, to die for our sins, to die for us not being okay, to die for us so that we might have a relationship with God, so that we might be in communion with him, and then being raised from the dead so that he might give us this life in him. Because we will never speak truth and love perfectly. We'll fail to love each other regularly. We'll fail to speak truth to one another. But Jesus has come incarnate to incarnate both truth and love so that we might be united in our diversity for our maturity. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. Um, we are grateful that you send your Holy Spirit to kiss us, to remind us how you love us, to remind us of your grace and mercy and how you bring us together in one body, Lord. May, we, uh, may you give us the ability, the sight, the power to see um, how you have gifted us to be able to maintain this unity, the ministries that we uh, have before us, 
the passions that we have so that we may meet the world's deep hunger. Help us to see that in this place, Lord. Help us to speak truth when, even when we don't want to and help us to do it in love even when doing it otherwise would be way easier to do, Lord. Help us to see that you have spoken truth to us in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the, death, on the cross for us and who was raised to life that we might have life in him. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.